0: Good afternoon and welcome to soul to soul Great to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon as usual. Very cold Wednesday afternoon today in Joburg. Um, We're all shivering up in our real winter, but we're very grateful for the amazing climate here in South Africa, in Johannesburg. We have nothing to complain about, our winters are mild, our summers are beautiful. We have the best climate in the world over here. So today is the 23rd of the month of Sivan, 23rd day of the month of Sivan. Um, last week, actually, we spoke about the 78th anniversary of D-Day, um, which was I found very interesting. And I got a lot of feedback that many listeners found it interesting, too, um, which I was very happy to hear. So I thought maybe today we would uh, speak a little bit uh, also about um, World War II And another significant date with regards to World War II. So last week was the Hebrew date um, Anniversary of 78 years since the D-Day landings and actually this coming Shabbos is the 26th of Sivan and it is the anniversary of the first battle of El Alamein The Hebrew anniversary of the first battle of El Alamein is this coming Shabbos is the 26th of Sivan um, and I think it's worth mentioning because um, it is very significant what happened in World War Two, in particular, with regards to the North African theater, um, which was the closest that the war got to Eretz Israel, And that was very significant. So, so let's get a little bit of background first. And that is, we know that the, all of Europe was in conflict with the Nazis invading and taking over most of Europe. And the theater of North Africa was significant. Why was North Africa significant? Because, well, the Nazis' ally was the Italians. And the British controlled both the Straits of Gibraltar and the Suez Canal. And those were the points where any country from the Mediterranean would be able to either re- reach the Atlantic or the Indian Oceans. And Mussolini very much wanted to control both of those um those waterways which would lead you into the Atlantic or the Indian Ocean. And that was significant. And Hitler very much wanted to control the Suez Canal. That would be strategically very important to Hitler. Also, Hitler wanted to control the um, some of the oil, oil fields that were in North Africa. And also, Hitler knew that the underbelly of Germany was through the Mediterranean. And uh, often Churchill spoke about it. And Hitler, therefore, wanted to protect his underbelly by having control of North Africa. Because if the Allies controlled North Africa, they could stage landings from, which they later did, um, from North Africa into Italy, into Sicily. That's how they got to Italy. Uh, The Sicily and Palermo landings were from North Africa. And so Hitler wanted to protect against that as well. So it, it turned out that North Africa was strategically significant for those reasons. And so the Italians wanted to control the Suez Canal and they sent their forces to try and and Overwhelm the British in Egypt the British very easily dealt with the Italians and pushed them back and completely defeated them with an inferior force and therefore Hitler decided to send one of his superstars to send General Rommel in order to take over the fighting in Africa Rommel had been a He was one of the rising stars within the German army He was actually in charge of training um, large areas of the infantry of the army He wrote books in training Hitler had read those books and Hitler had noticed Rommel and took a liking to him And he selected Rommel to be in charge of the units of the army that would protect Hitler um, after the invasion of Poland in 1939 so there were certain units that were in charge of Hitler's safety and protection especially from his headquarters um, and Rommel was was the head of those units and so Rommel was also a part of all the meetings of all the um, briefings about how the war was going in Poland and how things were progressing and uh, Rommel had uh, requested that he would be um, able to be a general of a regiment in the of the infantry of a mechanized regiment of a panzer regiment and uh, a panzer division and Hitler uh, gave Rommel his request and uh, uh, he promoted Rommel to be a general and he uh, bypassed a lot of others that were further up in the ranks than him and uh, he like leapfrogged over them, and there was quite a lot of, of, uh, of discontent in the German staff as a result of that, but it didn't take long for Rommel to prove himself and everybody understood why he had risen in the ranks so rapidly. And so Rommel now was given permission by Hitler to, to be in, the general of the 7th Panzer Division, which were mechanized troops. Rommel trained them from early 1940, He trained them extensively and uh, when the Nazis attacked uh, Belgium, Holland, France in 1940 in the summer of 1940, so Rommel's uh, troops were put right into the front lines and he was absolutely magnificent in battle Rommel. He was just phenomenal He he overcome many overcame many different obstacles in creative ways for example and um, they in the attack of France, they came to a river and the bridges had been destroyed. So it, they couldn't cross and the French were shooting at Rommel's troops um, from the other side of the river. They couldn't cross. So what he did is he set alight some buildings which created a lot of a lot of smoke. And as a result of the smoke screen, his soldiers could then build a bridge and cross the river. And he, he didn't. He was a general that led from the front. And uh, He was legendary in that aspect he got into the water and built the bridge together with his engineers and then the troops could cross he was that kind of a general and uh, the speed at which they progressed was just lightning speed the, the Blitzkrieg which was called like the lightning soldiers of the German army was were personified by Rommel and his troops and his 7th panzer division Um, They moved so quickly that the German High command couldn't would just didn't believe how quickly they were going and They got to the coast Rommel sent Hitler a telegram for words. I at the coast That's how quick they were so Rommel became was uh, a legend already in the early years of the war and so Hitler decided to send him in order to take care of their strategic interests in Africa in order to bring victory to the Africa Corps of the German Army, and Rommel again excelled when he arrived in Africa. He was able to very quickly uh, galvanize the German and Italian forces that were under his command, and he he had many uh, great logistical nightmares. You know, the they say the uh, one of the biggest enemies of a. Um, of a general is captain logistics and uh, that was the case in Africa because the Germans didn't give great prior although they sent a, a high-profile general but with regards to troops reinforcements to, with regards to ammunition and equipment with regards to supplies and fuel so it came far down in the pecking order because the eastern front which the distances that the German army had to travel. Their supply lines were extremely long. Russia is a huge country and they made massive progress in the attack of the Russians in 1941, but um, they were completely stretched as a result. And uh, so first priority was given to the Eastern Front, and the um, Africa was not high up in the pecking order in terms of German supplies and German uh, equipment. And so Rommel had tremendous logistical challenges. Um, in his battles in Africa. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about the the anniversary of, um, of some of the great battles in World War II and uh, the anniversary of um, the first battle of El Alamein is on the 26th of Sivan, which is this coming Shabbos, which was very significant. Um, so we were discussing how Hitler sent Rommel to to North Africa in order to secure the German strategic interests in North Africa and he Rommel was met with tremendous challenges from a logistical point of view, largely because it wasn't a great priority for the German army that was sending the, uh, the, the reinforcements and the um, ammunition rather to the Eastern Front than to Africa. So he, he was far down in the pecking order. But despite these tremendous challenges, Rommel was still able to um, achieve great successes for the Africa Corps, and uh, the as I mentioned, the allies, the British, were able to push back and defeat the, um, the Italians quite easily with an inferior force. When Rommel arrived, so the British intelligence was that he was really, in theory, under the command of the Italian general that was there, I don't remember his name, and uh, uh, he was given instructions by this Italian general that they have to um, fortify their positions, And they shouldn't go on the offensive. Um, Rommel looked at this guy and said, sorry, my friend, this is not how it works over here. Rommel was a very forward-thinking and uh, aggressive kind of general. And he always believed that the greatest form of defense was attack. And uh, Hitler supported him in, in his outlook. And so Rommel went on the offensive to the surprise, to the shock of the British who were completely... Um, unprepared for it they, they had sent their superior units that had defeated the Italians they had sent them to um, other places and they weren't on the front lines and so uh, Rommel quickly outflanked them and he moved very quickly in Libya and uh, to, to the the actually the big area where um, there was a very significant strategic port was uh, you may have heard of Tobruk which is a uh, port in the north of Libya, the reason why they were so strategic was that um, w- as I mentioned the Germans wanted Suez Canal very badly That was a I had great significance for them. Um, and obviously then they would move on to Eretz Israel um, And they would wreak absolute destruction in Israel and kill all the Jews there obviously um, And then they would control the oil of the Middle East. They would control the uh, Suez Canal and the oil in North Africa It would be very as significant for the Germans to achieve those objectives in order for that to to be a reality So they would have to take the port town of Tobruk, which is in the north of Libya um, up until then they, they were going from Benghazi, and it was quite a long supply line um, in order to uh, in order to uh, supply their troops and so Tobruk was strategically very significant and the, it was very well fortified by the allies And uh, they tried, the Germans, to get Tobruk, and um, it was well defended. And then Rommel, when he came, well, firstly, obviously, he reached Tobruk because it hadn't been – was under Allied control. Very quickly got it. Everybody's surprised. Again, Rommel and his tremendous speed. And uh, Tobruk, they surrounded Tobruk. Tobruk, They sieged Tobruk. And then what they um, did was they actually – um, nobody thought that they would be able to get into Tobruk. Rommel came in rather from the western side. He came all the way around from the eastern side. He was running out of supplies because his supply line was so long. But he uh, was able, it, deliberately, he was able to successfully um, to uh, overwhelm a British um, air strip, an air base. And he knew that that's where the bridge were being supplied from. And from those supplies of the Allies and the bridge, the fuel and the ammunition, that's a, how he was able to um, defeat and conquer Tobruk. And so he did so in, in, in a very quick amount of time. And, and then he carried on moving east again at a rapid rate. And he was only stopped um, on the 26th of Sivan Shabbos. The, the da- that date is the Shabbos. 1941 at El Alamein at the first Battle of El Alamein, and those were significant battles because um, the battles of El Alamein, as we mentioned, were it was the only time when Rommel was stopped. He was very he was 120 miles from the port of Alexandria, which was uh, very close to uh, to the Suez Canal to Eretz Israel. and in Israel the, the people were so concerned that they were actually the, the Jewish agency has ha, had started destroying its records, um, all of its records, because they didn't want to get into Jewish hands, and they were distributing um, burial shrouds throughout the country. They thought that the Nazis would come to Israel. He was not far, more, and on the march, on the move, um, there's a famous story about the Ponovich Horeb, Ravka Hanuman. Ravka Hanuman was a great rabbi in Lithuania, in the town of Ponovich and he had a a great yeshiva there he was actually a member of parliament as well i've been to the building the building still remains today it's a bakery but that was once the great and famous Ponovich yeshiva rabbi Kahneman got out and uh he got out with his son and he had only had papers for himself and his son and he wanted to bring his wife and the rest of his family um he got to Vilna and then he got out and the day after he got out is when the Germans invaded and he couldn't get the rest of his family out, which was just absolutely devastating. He lost nine, his wife and nine children were murdered by the Nazis. Can you imagine such a thing? And he arrives in Eretz Israel and when he arrived, Rommel was moving east in North Africa and Rommel has, was rapidly um, achieving his objectives. And when he arrived, Rav Kahneman says, I've come to build a yeshiva. So the people in Israel said to him, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Rommel is just a few weeks away of of getting to Israel, and you're going to be building yeshiva. He said, even if it's just for one day, it's worth it for the Jewish people. And he laid the foundation stone of the Ponevich Yeshiva um, in Bnei Brak, and uh, it became one of the great yeshivas, post-war yeshivas in the world, and still today remains one of the greatest yeshivas in the world. So that was the vision. And the emunah and the amazing strength of character of Rav Yosef Kahneman, the Panovichirov. In fact, South Africa has a a very big ghelech in that yeshiva that Rav Kahneman built because he bought property in Bromfontein. He he obviously came to raise money here in South Africa, Johannesburg, and he was advised to buy some property in Bromfontein. And when he had to build the yeshiva, he sold those properties. With that money, he was able to build the yeshiva building. So South Africa has a big... uh, a big merit in the Ponovich Yeshiva and uh, I've been there a number of times I've taken groups of, of people who we went to learn in Israel We went to visit the Yeshiva and they always give us tremendous um, Honor when we come they say South Africa. We owe you. We have a lot of akarazat a lot of appreciation to the Jews of South Africa So that's the great Ponovich Yeshiva and Rommel is finally stopped in El Alamein the first battle of El Alamein um, took place in, uh, uh, we're now in, in the 1942, and uh, and the this battle is uh, it, it, the the head of the British troops was General Auchinleck, um, and Churchill was very angry at the stage. Churchill was very upset that Rommel had pushed back the Allied forces to such an extent, and were, and he was 120 um, kilometers, uh, 140 kilometers away from Alexandria. So, Churchill then replaced Auchinleck with Bernard Law Montgomery. So, Montgomery arrives as the general and uh, he's able to hold back Rommel. Now, remember the allies in North Africa, they have um, in the region of 800,000 troops versus the Germans 120,000 troops. They've They've got in the region of 600 tanks versus the Germans 200 tanks. And they're well-supplied, and they uh, should easily overwhelm the Germans. But if it weren't for Rommel being such a skilled general, and that's where he got his uh, title, his name, the Desert Fox from. So normally they would easily have uh, been able to defeat the Germans, but Rommel was just so clever and so creative and so brave and daring that uh, it was very difficult for them to defeat him. But to cut a long story short, eventually they were in the second battle of El Alamein um, by the end of 1942, sorry, by the end of 1943, they were able to, um, sorry, it's 42. By the end of 42, they were able to uh, defeat Rommel in, um, in, in and uh, in the second battle, which is a significant battle of El Alamein, they pushed the Germans back And there was a lot of give and take, but eventually they were able to um, to defeat the Germans and the Germans then retreated and uh, they went back into Tunisia from Libya to to Egypt, Libya, Tunisia. There was one uh, there were a few more significant battles because Operation Torch took place in May 1943, where there was a landing of Allied forces of Americans and of British in three ports in North Africa, in uh, Casablanca um, and in uh, in other significant ports. and uh, so Rommel, again, had a, a significant battle in, um, in uh, what's called Kasserine Pass, where he defeated the Americans over there. But ultimately, um, he, he, the Africa Corps was completely outnumbered and overwhelmed and had to then withdraw, and they withdrew from Tunis at the end of 1943. Um, but the significant turning point was the Battle of al Alamein. Which its anniversary is on the 26th of Sivan. and just uh, uh, as an interesting um, side point, that's worth mentioning. Mentioning, so of course Rommel then um, was sent by Hitler to. He was still viewed as a as a great hero um, by the German people because of his uh, efforts in 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 North Africa against all odds, and he was then sent to fortify the. Uh, The Atlantic war fortress Europe that we spoke about last week Um, And he his job was to repel any landings from the West Um, and He was very strong on having because also he didn't have an air force the Luftwaffe was was mainly Used on the eastern front and to protect Germany and he didn't have planes the Allies had planes so he had good experience in understanding what it's like to uh, fight against an enemy who controls the skies And he knew that unless the tanks and the Panzers, the Panzer divisions, which were the elite German troops, were near the coast, and they didn't repel the landings in the first hours of the of uh, those landings, so it would be very difficult for them to then defeat the Allies. And and that's exactly what happened. Um, uh, He was able to only successful to place some of the those tanks near the the coast, but not enough. And it was just too difficult for them to get there and reinforce the troops because the Allies controlled the skies. So Rommel's experience was significant. And uh, if it weren't for Rommel, I think the D-Day landings would have been much easier and their pursuits would have been much more successful. Um, he he d- did a tremendous amount over there also to strengthen uh, Germany's position. Um, but thank God, Baruch Hashem, they were not. So, the, the Allies were successful. And uh, within a year, they, they had defeated Germany. Rommel was uh, implicated in the July 20th, 1944. There was an attempt on the life of Hitler. Some of his generals had seen that Hitler had lost his mind and that he was a crazy lunatic, but at this stage and uh, they, they felt that they would save millions of lives if they would assassinate him. And, and some of those more moderate generals would take over the leadership of germany and they would come to an agreement with the allies they knew hitler would never allow such a thing um so they they viewed that they would save what was left of germany and many millions of of soldiers lives and civilian lives if they did so and so they had this elaborate plot to on july 20th at the wolf's lair at hitler's headquarters um to uh, to i think they were in ukraine those headquarters um to bomb hitler And uh, they they originally intended to set up two separate bombs, but the the one they weren't able to get in. So they had one bomb and it was, uh, Count uh, von Stauffenberg put it there, Um, but unfortunately it was right by, there was a big wooden leg of the table and Hitler was the other side of that leg and that saved his life. Hitler survived the assassination attempt and very quickly the Gestapo uh, rounded up all those individuals that were involved in this plot and they were all executed immediately, and uh, Rommel was associated with it. So there's a, there's a debate amongst the historians, historians, how involved was he in the plot? Um, they had approached him to ask him to take over leadership of Germany after Hitler was assassinated. So he, he, he thought they were just, a, some say he thought they would just arrest Hitler, but others say that he knew that they were planning to assassinate him. But either way, he, he was aware of this coup, and he did agree to consider such an eventuality if that happened. Um, and uh, he was implicated in the investigations. And he was, uh, you might know the famous story that Rommel, after um, D-Day, during, for the D-Day langu- landings, which we discussed in detail last week. So the weather was so bad on the 5th of June that the Germans thought there's no way the Allies are gonna be able to stage an invasion in this kind of weather. And Rommel's wife's birthday was the 6th of June. So he flew back to Germany to celebrate um, his wife's birthday with her. And so when the landings came, they called him. They said, the weather has calmed and the Allies are landing on our beaches. He said, that's impossible. They said, well, it's happening in front of our eyes. So he immediately flew back. And in his vehicle to try and, you know, to get to the front, he was strafed by an Allied plane. was actually a... A South African pilot that shot Rommel, um, uh, his name was Leroux, um, and uh, Rommel was quite severely injured. His car, you know, was uh, rolled and went off the road, and he got some shrapnel wounds. He went back to um, he went back to Germany to recover, and that's when the July 20th plot took place. And he was still recovering in Germany, and so Hitler said to him, he sent two of his uh, of his heavyweight generals to Rommel, to his home, and he said to Rommel, we'll give you three choices. Either you can come back with us to Berlin. I think it was in, he was in Stuttgart, Rommel. That's where his home was. He said, um, come with us to Berlin, and you could explain to Hitler your involvement. Or So Rommel knew that that would end up in, in his being... Uh, He's being hung for sure. There's no question. The second option was that they could uh, go to the people's court, which was like a kangaroo court, which uh, pretty much uh, was set up by the Nazis and favoured the Nazis, a Nazi party. And he knew for sure that he would be found guilty of treason and he would probably get the guillotine. Uh, the third choice, and in both of those first two choices, Rommel's family would be humiliated and he and they would be embarrassed and it would be. Uh, they would suffer terribly as a result of that, and also they would have no means means of income. The third choice was that one of them gave him a cyanide pull, and told him, "If you take this pull, so um, you know the, those cyanide pulls, a person would be dead within three minutes. Uh, if you do so, so we will say that you died of a heart attack as a result of your wounds that you received uh, in Normandy, and uh, you'll be given a full military burial." and your family will be given the honor um, of, of a hero of the state, and they would get it a significant pension for the rest of your wife's life um, if you take the out pull, which obviously suited Hitler because he, he was in a, a difficult position because here you had this great hero of Germany. Roma was still viewed as the, the greatest general in the German army or one of the greatest generals, and now he wanted to kill Hitler. It's very embarrassing for Hitler. It was very bad for morale of the German people. So if Rommel um, had died and was given a, a hero's death, a hero's burial, um, that would be much better f- uh, from a PR point of view for the Nazis. So Rommel wanted to protect his family. He wanted them to have security. He wanted them not to be humiliated um, and and harassed. And so he chose the third option and he took a sign-up poll and uh, he, he actually went to speak to his family. He told them all what his decision was, what was going on. He went with the, these people in a, in a vehicle. They drove into a forest that was outside the town. And the other, there were three, uh, uh there's a driver and another two, either side of Rommel, so he couldn't escape. And, uh, the, one of them, the, the driver, one of them left and the third one gave him the silent pill. He took the pull, and he was then it was the people, he was buried the next day in full military honors. Um, and the people were told that he had died from a heart attack. Uh, as a result of his wounds. Um, so that's the story of Rommel, and, uh, and uh, the story of al is something we should remember, and thank God the, the Allies stopped them there, and Montgomery was successful in stopping Rommel, um, and uh, they'd never reached Eretz Israel, um, and the Germans were then uh, thrown out of Africa quite quickly after that, and Baruch Hashem, the D-Day landings, was successful, and the Germans were defeated. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM So let's end off with a very powerful and interesting um, idea that actually comes from the end of this week's Parsha. This week's Parsha is Parsha Schlachtlecha and in Schlachtlecha at the end of the Parsha is the Um, is the section, is the mitzvah of tzitzis. So tzitzis are those strings that we wear. The Torah commands us that if you're wearing a four-cornered garment, you have to have these strings that are tied to those corners in each of those four corners. That's a Torah prohibition to wear a four-cornered garment without these strings that are tied to them. And they are the beautiful descriptions of the mitzvah, and the Torah says that anybody who, the, sorry, the chaza sages so say, anybody's mekayim, the mitzvah of tzitzis, is ke'ilu kiem kol hatoyer kulo, as if the person has fulfilled the entire Torah. And it says that, urisem So uskartem is kol mitzvah look at the tzitzis, and you remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem. So there are many very beautiful, powerful things that are described about the mitzvah of why is that so why is it so important so significant so a beautiful idea that I'd like to share with you it Comes from the Gemurian Saita the Gemurian Saita of Yudzayin Ahmed Aleph, Gemurah says Darash Rava uh, B'shar so Rava he made a drosha about this issue of schar of reward She amar because it says with regards to Abramavino, Avinu Immi khut v'ad now so Avraham Avina was engaged in a war. Remember, there was the war of the four kings and the five kings. And Avraham didn't take any of the spoils of war. So the Torah says, Michut, which means from a, a string, For from a strap, a shoe strap. Didn't take anything. That was the description. So because Avraham was so honest, and he didn't take a scrupulous about his honesty, and didn't take any spoils of war, Zachu banav" the So the Gemara says, as a result of that, his children merited to have two mitzvahs: chut shel rutzot shel tefillin. So the chut is then the string of the of the which is that blue turquoise uh, thread that we wear on the tzitzis. Today we don't wear them anymore, but we used to. And the rutzot of the tefillin, the strap of the tefillin. So Gomorrah says, and that was the reward for Abraham's honesty. The so Gomorrah says, shel We understand the reward of the strap of Tefillin, because it's written, that when the nations of the world see a Jew wearing Tefillin, they'll understand that the name of Hashem is upon us, that we are the people of Hashem, Hashem is close to us. So when we, the Tanya as it says, the HaGadol OYmer, el Tefillin So that's the Tefillin on the head. That the nations, that, so what is the the Hanar? What's the benefit we get that uh, our descendants got from Abraham being honest is because Mitzvot tefillin. What's the benefit we get from that is the nations of the world? Treat us with reverence when they see us wearing our Tefillin Rosh, our Tefillin on our head It represents the crown of Hashem Represents God's glory is upon the Jewish people and and God's splendor. So that's the reward for the mitzvah of Tefillin Chut um, So what's the reward? And we're saying over here that clothes will get Hanah, get physical benefit from, from As a result of being descendants of Avraham Avinu So the physical benefit of Finin is the, the the nation see us with What's the physical benefit of Tzitzis? So says the Giver of the Tanya, As we learn in the price, it's a famous Quran in Menachos ma How is different to the other colors? Mipnei shetachelis doymel yam. Um, the Techeles is that blue, turquoise thread in the string in the tzitzis. So tachelis is compared to the sea. Ve yam rakia. And the sea, the color of the sea, is compared to the heavens. Ve kiseh The heavens are compared to the kiseh ha-kavod, the throne of glory. Rashi says shetachelis doymel yam. Um, Ba lamdenu tzitzis, ki ilu pnei Rashi says this is coming to tell us that anybody who fulfills the Mitzvot Tzitzis, it's as if they've received the presence of God. They have an audience with Hashem, the Shechina. So it's a very beautiful, powerful Gemara and a very powerful idea. So one would think that, and I always thought of it this way. But the Gemara is saying that when we wear the Techeles, so again, today we don't wear Techeles, so we've lost the Masoret, the tradition of exactly where to get that, that uh, color from, that dye from, and therefore we only wear white. We don't wear Techeles, and that's what the Gedolim is saying, that's what Kla Israel does. Um, so one shouldn't wear Techeles, one should just wear white. But the Techeles represents, so, so the way I understood it was the Techeles represents the sea, that makes us think of the sea, and that makes us think so, think of the heavens. And that makes us think of the Kavod. So in other words, we shouldn't just look at the world and at life in a superficial way and just see, uh, you know, in a, in a very shallow sense what meets the eye. We should learn to think more deeply and to analyze um, those things that we come into contact with in a deep way. And that will lead us to a deeper understanding of life and the connection to God. So don't just see the blue Tucheles, see that represents the sea, the sky, the Kisei covered Hashem. So, that, so, so that's how I understood what the Gemara is saying. But what Rashi says over here is quite different. Rashi saying is just by wearing the tzitzis and makes us think of Hashem, and that gives us an audience with Hashem, which is an unbelievable thing. It means that we have the capacity and the power to bring Hashem into our lives all the time. It's that simple. Just thinking of Hashem gives us an audience and a closeness to Hashem, and that's our job. That's our role It's an amazing thing. that's what the Rambam says the Rambam says that at all our spiritual level is dependent on our thoughts That machshava our thoughts are the glue that connect us with God that stick us that bring us close to God And that's the famous khidah the great khidah was the great Sfadi Gadol Sfadi rabbi Rav Chaim Yosef David Azula the khidah says you are what you think. What you think—that's really what you are. Isn't that a scary thing? So you know what's going on in our heads actually is what we are. That's our essence. Are we thinking about nonsense and garbage and Hollywood and and uh, Netflix or Facebook and uh, Instagram, or are we thinking about? Or we think about our next meal. Or we think about our next pleasure. What's going on in our heads? Or are we thinking about truth? and morality and God and the Creator and spirituality. And that's really who we are. Very frightening teaching of the Khedah. So we see that, um, incredibly so, we have the great power to bring Hashem into our world and into our life with our thoughts. And that's what the tzitzis are. Tzitzis are supposed to guard our thoughts, to think of Hashem, and then Hashem's there, Hashem is with us. Please stay with us, we'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the mitzvah of tzitzis, the great and powerful mitzvah of tzitzis, of wearing those strings that are attached to a four-cornered garment. So we know uh, when we daven, our custom is that uh, the Ashkenazi custom is that a married man wears a talus, talus gadol with cities on it, a four-corner garment with a tzitzis on it. Um, the Sfadi custom is even the unmarried man does so. and uh, But we wear the the undergarment well, underneath our shirt. Some people wear it on the outside, some people wear it underneath. Um, we wear the the Talis Katan, which is as a four-corner garment that has the strings on the four corners. And that was taught to us at the end of this week's Pasha. And we're discussing how the power of this mitzvah. But Rashi says that if we do so, it reminds us of Hashem. And that then brings Hashem into our world, into our life. I'd say, Kabbalah's uh, Pnei we are receiving. We have an audience with Hashem, with the king. When we see the tzitzes, and we think of the sea and the sky and then the Kisei Hakavod, Hashem's throne of glory. Very beautiful and powerful concept that our thoughts really govern who we are and govern our relationship with Hashem. And based on that, we can understand the famous Maharal. The Maharal says, why is it that the mitzvah of the Zechel Yetzirah remembering that we came out of Egypt, is in the Pasha of Tzitzis, is at the end of the commandment of Tzitzis. As it says at the end of, of which you, actually this week's Pasha ends with, is anoycha Hashem lokecha, she would say, me me'eretz Mitzrayim, Hashem your God, to took you, who took you out of Egypt, la'asos lachem in order to be a God to you. So why is that, what's that going to do with the Tzitzis? So the, Ram, the Maral says, the reason why it's there, and by the way, that's why um, the third, this, that's the Tzitzis is the third paragraph of the Shema. We have an obligation to have the Shema in the morning and in the evening. Um, every single Jew should do that every morning and every evening say the three paragraphs of the Shema The reason why the sages attached this third paragraph of the Shema is because they wanted us to mention Yitzhiya's mitzrayim. There's a mitzvah every day to mention that God took us out of Egypt And that's at the end of this paragraph of tzitzis. So Maral says what's the connection to Yitzia's mitzrayim and tzitzis? The purpose of Yitzhiya's mitzrayim is for us to be the servants of Hashem for us to see Hashem. For us to be connected to Hashem. And the mitzvah of tzitzis connects us to Hashem. Mitzvah of tzitzis makes us think of Hashem. Mitzvah of tzitzis gives us an audience with Hashem. And that is exactly the purpose of Yaseus Mishraim, says the tomorrow So that's a very beautiful understanding as to this beautiful and powerful mitzvah of tzitzis. And we hope that Klai uh, Yisrael will observe the mitzvah as we are commanded to by God. And there's great power and great connection that results in fulfilling the sotah mitzvah, the result, the the intended goal to bring us close to God and bring bring God's presence into our everyday lives. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day.